Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Covering the entire African diaspora. Worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Shout out to Addis Coder. Addis Coder is a free four-week summer program in Addis Ababa, introducing high school students to computer programming and algorithms. It is taking place as we speak in Wakadis. Nice. And you can learn more and show your support at AddisCoder.com. That's A-D-D-I-S-Coder.com. Shout out to the family of Henrietta Lacks. Mm-hmm. Long, at long last, their descendants have made a settlement with uh, one of the many pharmaceutical companies that have been profiting from the, quote, immortal cell line uh, propagated from Henrietta from like 1950, the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were taken from her body without her consent. And so I'm happy to see that some justice is happening at long last. You can hear more about all of that. Go way back, way back to episode four. We talk more about Henrietta, how her cells, her, her body has contributed to the future of medicine. And you can read more at hopkinsmedicine.org slash Henrietta Lacks, H-E-N-R-I-E-T-T-A, Lacks, L-A-C-K-S. And shout out to Aurora James. Aurora James is the founder of the 15% Pledge, mm-hmm. because black people make up approximately 15% of the U.S. population. The 15% Pledge is calling on major retailers to direct 15% of their purchasing power to black-owned businesses. You can find her on LinkedIn and other social media and learn more at 15percentpledge.org, and that's 1515, so 15percentpledge.org. Shout out to Nathan Lindsay. He is an amazing Lego builder, a master builder. Should I say that? I'm not sure if I can say that, but he is an amazing uh, Lego builder, and I was thrilled to not only meet him, but to have my children and my nephews meet him when he was not only presenting, but he was representing at Brickfest Live, which is the Lego exhibition that goes around uh, the country. And so check him out. You can see his amazing stuff on Instagram at Mod Yo Bricks on Instagram. That's M-O-D-Y-O-B-R-I-C-K-S. And you can find out more about Brickfest, which is all over the country, at BrickfestLive.com. And shout out to Caleb Maru. Caleb is an investor and writer and self-described African tech tour guide. He has just relocated to Nairobi with the intent to contribute to and cover the evolving East Africa tech scene. You can find him on LinkedIn and other social media and sign up for his very informative Tech Safari newsletter at techsafari.io. You know, we mentioned her briefly last time, but I want to give a very specific shout out to Dr. Chanda Prescott Weinstein. She is amazing, but we didn't mention last time that she got tenure this summer as a professor of physics at UNH. That's University of New Hampshire. She's a a scientist, physicist, and she's actually the first black woman to earn tenure specializing in particle theory, cosmology theory. Like ever. <laughs> and I mean, and broadly in terms of in physics, she's like the 54th or depending on how you count, like 61st woman, black woman to get a PhD in physics. 
You can find out more about her, and she's amazing, um, at chanda.science. That's C-H-A-N-D-A dot science. And thank you, fellow Wayfarers, for joining us in the Pure Vibranium Circle. So, we are a global podcast, and so we have to give a shout-out to our brothers and sisters in Durham and Derby and Devo and Duraji and Brits and Boma and Bersheba and Bujumbura and Baltimore and Bissau and Baraki and Bella Vista and everywhere the African diaspora is standing strong and moving forward. That's right. Including Amsterdam. That's right. Not for all that whole Lizzo stuff we've been hearing about, but actually the World Summit AI conference is taking place. You know, and this conference is about really, you know, who is shaping the futures of AI? Mm -hmm. You know, who is in charge? Who is actually doing this? They've got some really fantastic speakers coming up there, and including Renee Cummings, who's an ethicist and an activist. Uh, She's there at the University of Virginia. You can learn more at worldsummit.ai. And coming up in Zanzibar from September 12th to the 15th, the African Union has a committee gathering with the theme, Accelerating Infrastructure to Deliver on Agenda 2063 Aspirations. This is where the rubber meets the road, literally, and we fully expect good things to emerge from this assembly. As always, you can learn more about all things African Union at au.int slash en for those who are using the crown's tongue. Yeah, coming up in Washington, D.C. at the beginning of September is the Voice and AI Conference. And that's a little different from the one I mentioned a moment ago because they're really talking about the intersection of conversational and generative AI where the robot talks to you um, and maybe perhaps mimics your voice. And that's coming up in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Hilton, and it's going to have over 100 speakers, including Ken Sutton, who is the co-founder and CEO of Yobe. And Yobe is a company that really focuses on voice experiences. So we're talking about like, you know, front-end audio and helping brands with their audio presentation, if I'm understanding that correctly. Um, But he's really fantastic, and so check them out. You can find out more about that at voiceand.ai. So the Voice and AI conference, voiceand.ai. And a reminder that coming up in Lusaka, which is where? Lusaka. Lusaka. The African Fintech Summit is happening November 2nd to the 3rd. Now, the African Fintech Summit is a unique space where ideas are explored, investments mobilized, and collaborations formed across sectors and geographies. And, of course, you can learn more at africatechsummit.com. So coming up uh, in the middle of September... What was once just sort of this humble little cookout, mm-hmm. yeah, we love cookouts. Yes, we do. Um, is actually now sort of the, the 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 hub of the tech ecosystem system in Scandinavia. The tech barbecue happening September thirteenth through fourteenth in Copenhagen. You can find out more about that at techbbq.dk. Loves me some brisket, digital brisket, and coming up in Nairobi. The African Book Fair is happening August 1st to the 5th. The African Book Fair is produced by Soma Nami Books, which is a leading Kenyan Pan-African bookstore. The fair is Kenya's largest book sale of African books, showcasing over 10,000 from over 50 African countries. 
can learn more about that at somanami.co.ke, S-O-M-A-N-A-M-I dot C-O dot K-E, Somanami Books. And don't forget, and I think we mentioned it before, that the Africa Tech Festival is coming up in mm-hmm. November, so get ready for that. Uh, that's November 13th through 16th there in Cape Town, which is where? South Africa. That's right. They're really focusing on the trailblazers that are pushing boundaries of tech there in Africa and having some really important discussions. You can find out more about that at tmt.knect365.com. Underscore all that. (laughs) (laughs) And coming up in Seattle, what's up, fam? That's right. The Emoja Festival is happening on August 5th and 6th at Judkins Park. So for those who don't know, Emoja means unity in Swahili. And the Emoja Festival is a celebration of African-American and Pan-African culture through music, food, and conscious family fun. To learn more about the festival and the parade at mojafestnw.com. That's mojafestnw.com. So also coming up virtually in mid-August mm-hmm. is the fourth annual DreamWorks Summer Speaker Series featuring Black and Animated and the DreamWorks Black Employee Network. You can sign up for artistic conversations, um, feature shot breakdowns, career insights, and personal growth stories. So if you're in the animation business, especially for those of you who might be like, you mm-hmm. know, casting about a little bit while the strike is still going on, mm-hmm. you can check it out. Uh, at blackandanimated.com. That's B-L-A-C-K-N-A-N-I-M-A-T-E-D.com. Yes. And coming up in Nashville, what up, fam? Mm-hmm. The 41st African Street Festival is happening September 15th through the 17th at Hadley Lillard Park. So the African Street Festival is a free three-day music festival, marketplace, and journey through African culture. There will be over 40,000 people in attendance representing as we do. And you can learn more at AfricanStreetFestival.com. Again, AfricanStreetFestival.com. And coming up, I'm so jealous, I would love to get to this, is the Satchmo Summerfest, which is really one of the only festivals dedicated to specifically to honoring Louis Armstrong. And they're going to have like two stages of music, Incredible food, absolutely insane. Um, be sure to check it out. And that's SatchmoSummerfest.org. And that's S-A-T-C-H-M-O-S-U-M-M-E-R-F-E-S-T dot org. So then to run out our summer, we've got the BDPA conference, and that's the Black Data Professionals Association. Uh, that conference is happening in mid-August in Atlanta. You can find out more about that at BDPA.org. And we talked last time about how we wish we were, you know, the tech deck is lovely, but we wish we were actually at Martha's Vineyard, like at the beach right now. And coming up is the Martha's Vineyard African-American Film Festival running August 4th through 12th. Um, That looks to be really fantastic. You can check that out, especially if you're going to be there. Send us your pictures, please, at mvaaff.com. So Martha's Vineyard African-American Film Festival.com. So we will look forward to all that as we also look to the horizon. 
The Star Lab space station is becoming closer to reality. Two companies, Voyager Space, which is working to build a sustainable space economy, and Airbus, Europe's largest aeronautics company, have partnered to develop, build, and operate a continuously crewed, free-flying, low-Earth orbit commercial successor to the International Space Station. Star Lab will also be home to the George Washington Carver Science Park, where researchers can ostensibly commune and collaborate. Voyager was awarded $160 million from NASA. I love it. I I, I like the whole idea of commercialization of space. And, And it sounds weird for me to say that, but I like it because that that creates more opportunities for everyone to participate in the space economy. And to me, that is very important because then the more opportunities there are, the more opportunities there are for everyone. The worms are alive again. Scientists at the Institute of Physiochemical and Biological Problems in Soil Science have thawed two female roundworms that have been frozen for 46,000 years. According to Dr. Tamaris Kerchalia, quote, the major take-home message or summary of this discovery is that it is, in principle, possible to stop life for more or less an indefinite time and then restart it. According to the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Cell Biology and Genetics in Germany, the worms were revived just by placing them in water as their bodies were simply in a dormant state known as as cryptobiosis. I think that's fascinating. I mean, on one hand, it speaks a lot to being able to maintain and preserve bodies and organs. We talked about frozen organs a couple episodes ago. And yet, and yet, it also gives me pause as I think about how looking to the future, how our environment is being changed and how a lot of things that may have been suspended in cryo suspension or, you know, Sleeping, as it were, those giants awakening. According to the BBC, the Kenyan government has told WorldCoin to stop. WorldCoin, which was founded by OpenAI founder Sam Altman and building what it calls the world's largest human identity and financial network, has been offering Kenyans free crypto tokens in exchange for giving WorldCoin the right to scan their eyeballs. The crypto tokens are worth about 49 U.S. dollars, and WorldCoin informed the BBC that it cannot say exactly how many eyeballs they have scanned thus far. Algorithmic Justice League, stand up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole lot. We could spend the rest of our episode talking about that. And why, why, dear listener, are they driving on doing this in Kenya as sort of their first space to really go deep on this so hashtag colonialism and lastly nasa is getting into the streaming business the new ad-free service will be called nasa plus and will be available on ios and android as well as roku and apple tv the new content hub which will feature original series and documentaries and live programming is expected to launch no pun intended later this year I love it I love it you know I think that the more things you see from NASA 
the more you just you truly you put your head in the stars. I I love it. So in light of all this, a new space station, resurrected worms, crypto world coin, how are you feeling as you look ahead? On one hand, I'm very excited about all these things. You often hear futurists talk about, you know, the future is already here, but it's just not evenly distributed. And I heard one woman talk to really unpack that a little bit by what that means is often two things. That the future, like the utopian space stations of the world, are here for people who can afford to go, which is why I like the idea of expanding space exploration for more and more people so it isn't just the billionaires of the world who want to go on a joyride to actually do things that move all of us forward. But then on the other hand, they talk about how the future is not equally distributed, is that often some of the most invasive technologies are often pushed out to the most powerless people first. And, you know, sort of they get to be the, the guinea pigs, the test cases, while these things are being worked out. And, you know, because they're, they have, at least they think they have, the least amount of agency to push back on these invasive things. And so when I think about WorldCoin scanning all these eyeballs, I'm like, well, we're, why weren't you starting in Canada or, or Denmark or someplace like that um, that has, ironically maybe not so ironically, very strong data and privacy protections. Why are you starting in Kenya? I'm an optimist by nature, and so I'll end talking about NASA. I love the idea of NASA having a streaming service. I think it's fantastic. When I was a kid, my dad worked for JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory here in, in, in Pasadena, uh, which is where they build and, and launch and manage all, a lot of the space probes by the U.S. Space Program. And I'm just of a certain age to when the Voyager probes were, 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 were hitting all the big planets, you know, Jupiter and Saturn and all that. And I remember my godfather bringing back to me these press kits, these large 8x10 glossies of Jupiter and Io and Saturn and all these things, and just getting these media materials. And my brain was just expanded. I was, I was in the universe. And it was so inspirational to me. And, and I was so fascinated and captivated by it. And the idea of it being, you know, my children are small. They don't, they don't know what an 8 by 10 photograph is. <laughs> they want to see it streaming. They want to see it live. And so having NASA doing that combined with all the other things moving forward, as long as the worms don't eat us, I love it. Amen. And as the great Octavia Butler once said, there is no end to what a living world will demand of you. That's right. So today, we continue our discussion about Pan-African storytelling. We'll discuss the exciting new Disney Plus series, Kazazi Moto. Mm -hmm. We'll also consider the new Netflix animated series, Super Team 4. We will also highlight a few new titles in our bookshop including the upcoming children's book from last year's Person of the Year, Nicholas Smith. And we'll begin with our take on the visionary new community that Idris Elba plans to build called Sherbro Island City. But first things first, and swing low, sweet chariot, how you doing? It's going well. It's been busy time. You know, summer goes by pretty fast. You know, when you're a kid, you got camps and all kinds of things. It seems like summer lasts forever. But it feels like to me that summer goes by like almost instantly because we're getting ready for going back to school. We've got so many other things going on. It's, uh, it's, it's a good time, but a busy time. So I just want to say congratulations to everyone who participated in the National Black Theater Festival. Moving forward, 
Let's make sure that we're supporting black playwrights and black stage actors, including all those who are part of the upcoming musical in Washington, D.C., about the great Fela Kuti, who passed away in 1997. Okay. And I also want to say congratulations to everyone who had a chance to see and hear our beloved Leslie Loco mm-hmm. in Accra. If you haven't already listened to our episode about Leslie Loco's game-changing curation of the Venice Architecture Biennale, please check that out. But this particular event, called Bringing the Biennale Black, was designed so that people who did not get a chance to see it could learn more about it. And here is a quick little clip. This will be the last AFI lecture for some time, partly because I desperately need to take a break but also because the landscape in terms of built environment education around us has changed, not only in Africa, but across the globe. What I imagined three years ago when I began the AFI has been profoundly changed by two things. One, the very real challenges of building and sustaining an institute, and two, the almost simultaneous appointment as curator of the Architecture Biennale in Venice. The irony of a show in Europe about Africa that closes its doors to Africans is not lost on me. I'm aware that those, there are those who think it serves us right. Who did we think we were? Who did we think or how did we think we would be treated differently? But I also believe in the power of culture to change mindsets, both at home and abroad. The exhibition is a portal, a gate, a pathway, a channel. It places a non-European perspective at the heart of its story, but it does not do so by overwriting the existing narrative. The story of architecture is not wrong. It is incomplete. The laboratory of the future tries to show that it is possible to speak from a place of invitation, not exclusion, and that the invitation to expand our minds, ideas, and perspectives enriches rather than diminishes us all. I cannot say it often enough. The inclusion of other voices is not only a moral or political imperative, but also a deeply creative one. It changes the way we see the world. It deepens our understanding. It adds to scholarship. It does not detract from it. As always, all about the Africa Futures Institute. That's right. We also want to say congratulations to everyone who participated in the Empower the Community Weekend in Washington, D.C. a few weeks back. That was put on, of course, by Helen from The Helen Show on EBS TV. Mm-hmm. Now, I bring this up because she made a huge announcement, which we haven't talked about yet, and that is that in addition to the Empower the Community event in Washington, D.C., she is now going to do, starting in 2024, what she is calling Empower Addis. So in addition to the upcoming Encopa Summit, we also have the Empower Addis movement to look forward to as well. Right on. So going forward, let's make sure that we are mindful of what is happening across the diaspora, not just in Wakadis, but in Accra and Sudan and Niger and wherever else we are. We are interconnected and interdependent. So let's go ahead and act like it. That's right. Speaking of movements, It is Black Business Month, and there is a little movement that we have started called Year of Ujamaa. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, Ujamaa is the Swahili word for cooperative economics. And in that spirit, we want to give some future-facing love to some of our favorite storytelling entrepreneurs, do we not? That's right. 
you know, we love, in particular, uh, graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of the reason why is that it's a very free-flowing medium that allows you to, to expand on all kinds of different stories. It's very visual and very ca- captivating. And in particular, I want to give a, a shout out again because mm-hmm. we love him and we've talked to him about him. We've had him on the show. I want to give a shout out to Eton Comics. You know, um, Basarat Debebe is doing great things. He just uh, shipped uh, issue two of Zufon, which is an incredible story, which we've talked about before. But he's also working on a an anthology of African stories. Mm-hmm. And not just by him, by other creators as well. Once again, taking this idea of, you know, rather than having, you know, these, these synthesized AI generated stories, but actually taking stories that from actual creative people, humans, <laughs> um, and bringing stories that are ones that we haven't heard yet before. And I'm really excited about that project. You can find out more. Um, I think it's a Kickstarter campaign, but you can find out more about all of his graphic novels at etoncomics.com. That's E-T-A-N-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. You know, and also, you know, our, our dear friend and... and Herf! He also has a, a company that produces graphic novels, mm-hmm. Beyond Time Comics. Yes. So beyondtimecomics.com. But he has not one, but two campaigns going right now. Can't on, stop him, can't even contain him. Yeah, on Indiegogo. Um, the first one is... Black Tiger Hidden Dragon Volume Two, which is the grand finale when the Tigress faces when the Tigress faces martial arts assassins, techno cops, and more. Uh, and the other one is Magna and the Posse. It's actually three graphic novels following two story arcs in one universe. Um, Magna faces her destiny, and the Posse are forged in fire. It's a great lead, and I haven't read it yet, but but there's a great video that talks more about it. You can find them both on Indiegogo, but in particular. The links to them you can find at beyondtimecomics.com. That is what I'm talking about. And speaking of African lore and legends, just want to quickly say that the Women's World Cup team from Zambia scored its first ever goal in a World Cup match. Nice. And Marta Cox bent it like Beckham and scored Panama's first ever World Cup goal. So big ups to all the Pan-African teams that are taking care of business in the World Cup including Nigeria and Jamaica and South Africa and Morocco and Colombia and, of course, the U.S. of A. Yes. The future is female. Absolutely. And really, though, players of African descent are represented on practically every team. So in some sense, and this is real talk, the World Cup should really be thought of as the Pan-African invitation. So going forward, let's make sure that we are watching and supporting men and women's Pan-African soccer and, of course, the upcoming African Football League, which is set to launch on October 20th. All right, so what articles in our conversation menu are you focused on right now? You know, I'm still on the AI thing. Of course. Um, And part of it is that I struggle with the term artificial intelligence. It's such, we as humans tend to anthropomorphize that so much, and and you can tell. I mean, just look at the different articles that we have there as topics of conversation. They go across the entire spectrum. And a couple of things that, that I really do want to highlight, we interviewed a couple of episodes back, maybe three or four episodes back, we were talking about, like, the, the human cost of moderating content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me is 
is so important yes. that so many of these things are. And ladies and gentlemen, you can go Google this. Google this term called mechanical Turk, which was a hoax that was perpetrated in the mid-19th century, I think, uh, where it was like a mechanical chess player that was supposed to have been a robot, but was actually a a person was tucked underneath the cabinet who was a a, a little person chess master who was actually the one doing it. And there's this whole notion that Mechanical Turk has become a bit of a metaphor where it's like these things that seem automated, and actually Amazon has a product that you can subscribe to called the Mechanical Turk, that seem automated but are actually run by humans. And a lot of these artificial intelligence things that are proposing to have machine learning and machine wisdom are actually moderated by humans. And, and so one of the articles there talks about how that's been outsourced to places like Kenya, once again, going back to WorldCoin. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but on how devastating it is to be not only moderating the terrible things that humans say to each other, mm-hmm. but then machines at scale can say even more terrible things and more of them. And how do you manage that uh, as well? But then on the other side of the spectrum, they talk about like, oh, you can use an AI tool to, to help you find your right travel itinerary and things like that. And to me, that's why I don't like the term AI. Mm-hmm. Because really, at the end of the day, these are algorithms and analytics that are doing deep analysis of your preferences or your requests and doing very sophisticated queries across large pools of data. And it's like, I want to go and travel to St. Kitts. Don't we all? And so then this query goes out and gives me back results based on the criteria i've given it is it really intelligent is it as good as using an actual travel agent no it's not going to be as good as that so quick shout out to jeff goins at go elite travels having jeff line up a a wonderful caribbean vacation for you is very different than having some algorithm do it for you and then the other thing that I thought was interesting, which I saw before we actually added it to the conversation menu, was the notion that, that Apple is testing out sort of a chat GPT similar thing. Mm-hmm. I'd read a couple of articles about that. And it'll be interesting because even though while there are no angels, because they monetize your data internally just fine, they do have as least as part of their marketing sort of this, this privacy first thing. And so it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens there. All right. So that brings us to Idris Elba and Sherbro Island City, which will likely require a good deal of artificial intelligence, if we want to call it that, and robotics and Ujama and infinite Sankofaism. Anything worthwhile always has a good dose of infinite Sankofaism. So we talked about Africatown in our last episode, but we want to give mad love and respect to this project because the mission is to build a model Afrodynamic eco-city on Sherboro Island. And this is actually a really interesting thing because, first of all, Sherboro Island is in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And part of it is this idea of having a public-private partnership to create essentially sort of like one of the special economic zones. It's not a good metaphor, but kind of like the way Hong Kong was originally, or at least sort of in its period between being a colony and getting wiped out. There was that one little period. <laughs> Sounds like a plantation to me. Well, no, but I mean, but the idea here, though, is really to, you know, take advantage of the fact that 
the world is urbanizing so rapidly. Mm -hmm. I mean, urban in terms of people moving into cities. Yes. And, you know, on their website, they talk about how, like, by 2050, the majority of Africans, something like 1.5 billion people will be living in cities. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and by 2050, so, one out of four people will be living in Africa, period. Well, that's true. By 2050. And so then you'll end up having 30 cities that will have more than 5 million people in it by that point. And so on one hand, it's a challenge. But on the other hand, it's an opportunity. And really what's happening with Sherbo Island City, the vision there is to make sure that that opportunity is maximized and take advantage of what's happening there and really – I, I'm excited about this idea of, of being able to make a, um, a sustainable economic engine, not only for Sierra Leone, but also for it to be a model for development elsewhere. And of course, uh, listeners will recall that we were very excited about Akon City back in the day. What happened to that? I think it's fallen by the wayside. That's uh, unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. I do not expect the same to happen in this particular case. We are genuinely optimistic about this project, or at least I am. It's one thing when you have something that's driven by one person's vision. This is not Idris City or it's not Elba City. Right. And so the idea of creating an environment that not just empowers your vision, but it allows people to have their own vision and then empower that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get this completely wrong. So, dear listener, someone write us and tell me the quote properly to where it's like, you know, I'd, someone said, I'd rather have 1% of 100 people's dreams than, you know, 100% of, some, of my own. Something like that in terms of like, you know, if you're able to empower other people to fulfill their own dreams and if you can participate in that and quite frankly, you know, get some sort of return on that, it's a win-win. Maybe. And you will also recall, dear listener, that we mentioned in a previous episode the comments that Idris Elba made regarding the connection between storytelling and the development of Sherbro Island and our beloved motherland. He said, quote, This city will one day be home to a thriving economy, creating thousands of jobs, strong institutions, and world-class infrastructure powered by cutting-edge green technology. We hope it will be a shining example of African potential and show that investment in Africa is a sound, sustainable business strategy. But to attract investment into such ambitious projects, we must continue telling uniquely African stories, showing the unification and success that serve as an invite to Africa. I'm trying to do my part by building a more diverse media landscape across the continent, one that represents the voices and experiences of Africa and its diaspora. So, projects like Sherbro Island City are inevitable. You have to see the connection between what's happening in our storytelling and what's happening in the real world throughout the diaspora. That's the connection. That's right. Anyone who was paying attention, we are at the dawn of a pan-African film renaissance. What these films and documentaries are saying to the world, and not just to the pan-African world, not just to people of African descent, what it's saying to the world is that we are here and we are not going anywhere. And pretty soon, you're going to find us in a new Africa town, in a new Wakatis, and Sherbro Island City. Yes. That is how we do it, because that is who we are, and that is where we're going. And for those of you listeners who aren't part of the African diaspora, you might mm-hmm. be like, well, why should I care? Why should they care? Well, first of all, having all these new and interesting stories coming out, especially when they're 
well done. They're 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 nicely produced. They're going to be interesting. And so, I mean, we as humans, we live in a very entertainment focused society, uh, and and we like to be entertained by we and we love and, and cherish novelty. Mm-hmm. And so, at the minimum, it's going to be that. And then, assuming that you continue to have the structures in place to where the people who are the creators get compensated appropriately talking to you producers union or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, but as long as you're doing that then it also lifts everyone up because and you know one of our goals and one of the things that you've heard us talk about you know what does it mean when we really get to Wakanda it's when everything is co-equal when all of the cultures are co-equal with each other you know we're not trying to suppress or push anyone else down by no means uh you know it's just simply one to where we are all equal we're all in this together and it's it sounds trivial but it's fun right it's fun it's interesting when we get to hear all these different stories it's always uh it's a bit of a change of pace from from your everyday life and so i'm excited about I'm actually about, I'm really excited. I'm, 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 I'm kind of a little bit of flutter because I want to talk about the thing that we're about to talk about, uh, you know, about an example of some of these stories coming to the fore. But before we do that, we definitely have to talk about a special book that is in our bookshop. Yes. Coming out like any minute now. Any minute now. From your favorite dear listener and ours, mm-hmm. Nicholas Smith. Mm-hmm. We can't talk about him enough. He is so awesome. And he has a, a new book coming out called The Artivist, which really is a call to the creative, you know, artist activist in all of us. Yes. And it really, it's a bit of an exploration of his background about how he became an artist um, and as well as sort of how he not only became an artist, but then took that and used it to to highlight issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's a really fantastic book. Every little bit I've seen about it is fantastic. You know, he talks about sort of his original story, you know, after he did a mural and it goes viral and he decides to to change the world one painting at a time. Uh, It's really a call for young readers to, to point out injustice by any means or sorry, by any manner that using their, all their talents. By any tools necessary. By any tools necessary. Exactly. By any pens, pencils, brushes, and pieces of chalk exactly. necessary. And you can go and learn more about Nicholas Smith. Once again, he's on Instagram at Nicholas underscore Smith. And so that's N-I-K-K-O-L-A-S underscore Smith on Instagram. Or you can visit his website at Nicholas.art. And that's N-I-K-K-O-L-A-S dot art. And again... He is our most recent Sky's Black Person of the Year, mm-hmm. and he is such because he has set the standard for storytelling for us. It's not just about art for art's sake. I mean, it's being an artivist, and so it very much relates to the African film renaissance that we are in the midst of. So a thousand and one things that we could talk about in regards to storytelling, yes, uh, which we don't have time to discuss, but... There are some recent releases like They Clone Tyrone, which we're going to talk about after our hiatus. 
There's the blackening. And yeah. Nicholas did a really great illustration of, of that. Go check out his Instagram. There's a great little uh, vignette from They Clone Tyrone. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so it's on my list to watch. Yeah, so They Clone Tyrone, The Blackening. We already mentioned the new Bob Marley film that's going to be coming out. We already mentioned the new Shirley Chisholm movie that's going to be coming out. We just learned that there is a new film about Basquiat that's going to be coming out as well. It's called King Pleasure. And so... One thing that is part of this film renaissance is science fiction. And there is a Kenyan director named Wanuri, K-A-H-I-U. She's directed a variety of things, including a sci-fi short film, which was great. I saw it a couple weeks back. Anyway, she shared her thoughts a few years ago about organic African storytelling. So I didn't choose science fiction. I was writing a story, um, and the story is about a girl in the future. And because the story is about a girl in the future, um, it became a science fiction film. I didn't even know it was a science fiction film. It was later on when I was just about to start shooting, and I was talking to my producer, and he said, you know, this genre is science fiction, right? And he asked me to make a choice because there were some elements of fantasy in the, in the original draft of the script. So he said, you have to decide whether or not you want to go more science fiction or <clears throat> more fantasy. So I made a decision at that point to go more science fiction than fantasy. But it wasn't an active choice that I'm going to make a science fiction film to deal with issues. I was just writing a story about something that I felt strongly about. Um, and I wasn't, I, I didn't know that it would be interpreted as anything else other than just a story that I was writing. I think there's more people writing science fiction now, yes. Um, I think that has to do with, our, um, one, the ability to create. It's easier to create than it was before. Um, two, that we're more exposed as a continent to whatever different things that are happening so our imagination has grown leaps and bounds to be able to accommodate the ideas of different genres into the work that we're doing, right? But I challenge that question that we've just started. I don't think we've just started. I think that science fiction has been a genre in Africa that has been used a lot for a long period of time, way before I was even born. And if we think about science fiction as the use of um, science or something that is fictitiously science or speculative fiction within a story, then we've always used it because we've used botany, we've used uh, entomology, the idea of the study of animals to tell stories or the idea of insects to tell stories or the idea of natural sciences and using trees and that's all science fiction. Maybe it wasn't as widely spread before because there wasn't the internet or there wasn't the access to festivals or whatever, or oral storytellers told their stories to villages and, nev- and it never got past that. And then stories would be repeated down, but never went to a wider audience. I think the difference now is that people are, have more access to Africa and are better able to hear more stories coming out of Africa. I don't think that the stories are new. I don't think that science fiction is a new genre. Just like I don't think fantasy is a new genre in Africa. 
it's always existed. It's how we've told stories to our children. It's how we've communicated morality and tradition and a code of conduct and how to behave and how to be part of your society. The use of futurism and the use of speculative fiction is, it, it may seem like it's, it's becoming a trend, but I still, I'm curious about that because I think in every culture that I've heard of, there have always been people in all parts of Africa that have either looked to space or have, have, have had people who are seers, who could see into the future and who could disseminate the future and tell people what is going to happen. So we've always been able to draw from things that are outside of this world to be able to make sense of what's inside of the world. So how does that intersect, if at all, with your experience of the new Kazazi Moto series on Disney Plus? Well, I gotta say that that series is really fantastic. I've haven't had a chance to watch all of it. Avery Anderson, stand up. <laughs> First of all, uh, you can find it on Disney Plus. Kazazi Moto, K I Z A Z I M O T O, and it's a a short set of vignettes. So these are all like 15 minute brief animated pieces. And they're, they all have different Afrofuturist takes of the, each of these stories. Actually, let me rephrase that. Ladies and gentlemen, these are all Afrofuturist stories mm-hmm. and they're all different from each other with different animators, different mm-hmm. authors, mm-hmm. different writers across the board. So they're all different relative to each other. But one thing that has been a through line has been the fact that they've generally been focused, as a lot of animation is, on young people. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the the episodes we've watched have been focused on young boys. Mm-hmm. And so having had a chance to experience that with my son has been has been delightful to be able to allow it to be... They often talk about when we mention diversity, we always talk about, you know, mirrors and windows. You want to be able to have, you know, a uh, a window into the future, be able to see, uh, but at the same time have a mirror to where you see yourself in that future. And so in, this, in the ones we've watched, and some people might say, well, they're only 15 minutes. Why haven't you watched them all? But part of it is that I like for that being just a little bit of father-son time. Yes, uh, yes. For, for me and my son. And yes. so, it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's, a little bit, it's been a little bit of a busy summer, so sitting down to watch tv hasn't been a a high priority for us but it's been fun watching these young black protagonists basically overcome some challenge Mm -hmm. either it's a personal challenge or a physical challenge or where they need to stand up and save their family you know they all they all had happy endings and so it's been really it's been really interesting. I think some, some of them are a little bit over my son's head, I think, because a couple of the stories I've had to watch twice mm-hmm. just to see if it was something that, to, to make sure I understood it. Part of the delay, ladies and gentlemen, is that my son is seven years old, and so where possible, I've been watching the episode first and then watch it a second time with him. And, like, for example, um, one of which, the episode three, uh, Moremi, um, I actually had to watch three times. Because I watched it once, sort of as a preview to make sure it wasn't going to be like too, if it wasn't going to be scary or anything for my kid. Mm -hmm. But also, then I watched it with him, and we were both kind of like, "Do we understand what happened? What we what we just saw?" Mm -hmm. And then 
we I watched it with my wife uh, because it was one of the things I was like, hey, part of our us keeping each other on the same page is I'm like, hey, here's some things that you may not be familiar with. I want you to see what he's and he yes. I are watching. Yes, uh, and it took me a little while for that particular one, but I loved it. I loved it because it was interesting in the sense that oftentimes when you think of like a monster coming to get you, you think about the the, the troll under the bridge. Mm-hmm. It's a very European Western sort of you know big bad thing that's coming to get you mm-hmm. you know a scaled dragon or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know this this horned troll or whatever kind of grim's fairy tales kind of thing and in that episode and actually in the other ones having it be more of having more of an african aesthetic to it mm-hmm. like the, the 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 monsters that were coming to get you or that were the the villains in this you could tell and what's great and entertaining for me as a member of the diaspora who quite frankly is not well educated in these things i know that it's an african metaphor and so i also know that i don't know the metaphor mm-hmm. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes any sense yes and and yet and yet it was wonderful to be a part of it like the very first one the very first episode herder boy was about this kid who is trying to become one of the herders of these cyborg you know, cattle, and so when you say cyborg, it wasn't necessarily in contemporary. No, these are all in the future. So far, so, in the, these, so, these are so, all. So in all mythical, the stories are all in the future. Yeah, they're all in the future. They're all in these mythical, you know, sort of fantastic um, spaces. And so this herder is like basically, you know, dealing with these cyborg cattle, um, and you know, from these spirit monsters that are coming in there. And so one of the other shepherds or herders, I guess, was this uh, was this robot who had this woven hat, but it was like these cybernetic materials, and it was glowing, and it was like, and you're looking at it going, and I know just enough about African aesthetics, and I'm like, oh yeah, that reminds me of this basket thing, and that people wear on their heads, and this old costume, but it's it's all like cybernetic, and mm-hmm. and, and all like techno-futuristic and it was really fantastic to watch and i watched that one i'll admit i watched it on my own after the fact because it was so visually it was so fun nice and and that's part of the thing is that it's been fun to watch with my son it's been fun to watch and this is true anytime you see different animators try different things i mean we're all used to sort of the pixar disney style of animation but there's so many other styles out there and the other one, like the Spirit Racer, was a little bit more of a um, more of a manga style, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese style animation, and that was also a lot of fun because not only could you see that, so definitely the influences of of uh, Japanese style anime, mm-hmm. but then when the bad guy like shows up in his flying saucer and pops down in a limousine out of the flying saucer, and he struts, and he has that strut that those of you who are in the diaspora, you know that. I'm the badass guy strut. AKA the Denzel strut. <laughs> you know, we all know that strut. And to see this guy do that, I'm kind of like, that's cool. And so all of these have been, you know, and, and truly we have um, maybe another another five or six more episodes to go. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we'll stretch it out, you know, for a little bit. Have been really wonderful. And it's been wonderful to see my son's eyes kind of light up. 
and I'm not sure if he's lighting up because it's just something new mm-hmm. or if he's lighting up because he's seeing these little, these young men, these boys be heroes mm-hmm. or if it's these incredible futuristic visions of surfing in these dystopian waters. You know, it's it's really been a lot of fun. And so my hat is really coming off to Disney for mm-hmm. funding it because they're all well-produced. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sorry that they're short. I, I wish that they were longer pieces, but I know that I happen to know that animation takes a lot of time and effort. And so I think to be able to enlist so many different artists, especially because this is their first go round. So I could see how just to be a little bit more realistic with their budget, they're like, okay, we're going to get these, um, you know, these 10 different artists and set up 10 different animations, you know, operations going and produced and edited and everything else i could see how like okay well they're not going to be very long and unfortunately it's too bad because because the one nice thing about it and and this goes back to the part that's too bad is that much like any short story if you read an anthology Mm -hmm. uh, they have to do their world building really fast and in one hand that forces the artist whether it's a writer or an animator or whatever to really you can't have any fluff in there because in in this case you only have 15 minutes it's a short story you've only got just a few pages to you know get it done Mm -hmm. so you really see them at the at the top of their craft the part that's too bad is that they did a great job of these world building. I mean, I mean, a couple of these spaces, I'm like, bring me back. Bring me back. Tell me the backstory of these cyborg herders or tell me the backstory of these spirit racers and why there's a competition and all these other things. Why is it that, you know, this scientist had to, to do these things to protect her people? Uh, you know, why did... You know what was the story of the of this surfer's parents back, the backstory there? You know those are the the four stories I've mentioned so far. You want to go back into those worlds and, and expand on it more because they did a very nice job of world building in just truly you've only got fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's the part that I think is too bad. I, I hope that maybe in a season two they'll bring those artists back. Maybe not all of them. I don't know. How, or maybe do bring them all back and have them do something in a longer form mm-hmm. in the universes that they created. I, I thought it was fascinating. I'm looking forward to the next episodes that we're watching, and I really hope that Disney will continue to do it. Well, we do know that Awaju is coming up supposedly later on this summer, which is a full-blown series around one particular story or one cast of characters. And right. so we definitely have our fingers crossed for that. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, so as always, the conversation will continue. But my takeaway from this particular episode is that there are so many different ways for one individual to collectively move us down the road, to collectively move us forward. You know, Idris Elba has said, I'm going to use my platform and my celebrity to build a city, and a city that's built on the historic and aspirational soul of our people. You know, Helen from EBS TV and the producer of the Empower the Community Gathering has said, I am going to launch a movement that is going to empower Addis. Besserat Debebe has decided, I'm going to collect all the scattered, brilliant stories that are floating around the diaspora in individual minds and hearts, 
and quilt them into a unified graphic narrative. And, of course, Nicholas Smith, our most recent Sky's Black Person of the Year, has authored the clarion call that is meant to remind all of us to use whatever gifts we have to heal, help, and inspire. So I'm asking you, dear listener, what will you do to uplift the Pan-African global family? As you've heard us say a million times, and you will hear us say a million times more, it is not about Anton, it is not about me, it is about us. And N.K. and Tamit and <laughs> Joy and Leslie Loco and Herb and Mika Shavala and Akaroko, you know, our peeps, but you get my point. We have work to do, and exactly. that means you too. Exactly. You know, for me... Part of this whole thing goes back to, you know, when did people make the, you know, what's going to inspire you and what's going to take you forward? Yeah. And, you know, when, you know, if you look at the story for Dr. Chanda, mm-hmm. um, you know. Dark matter, stand up. <laughs> she, like, decided to become a physicist at, like, age 10. Mm-hmm. She was inspired as a child. She saw something. She encountered something mm-hmm. that opened her eyes and allowed her to see a bigger picture that she wanted to explore and learn more about. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having stories like the ones I just described that, you know, for uh, Kazazimoto and for the thing that, that Idris is doing, you know, the, uh, the idea of sharing more stories out there, you never know how someone's going to be inspired and much the same way like when I was as a child. And so, dear listener, when I, when I think about the, these different people and the things they're doing, I actually get even inspired right now mm-hmm. as a grown man. Yes. And, and really, that's what we're about yes. here on this podcast. Yes. We're about highlighting those who are taking us down to the future, not just folks from the black diaspora, mm-hmm. but all of us, because if we get there, Amen. ladies and gentlemen, you get to come along too. Amen. And so... I hope that you guys will give us some feedback. Tell us what inspired you. You can reach out to me at Anton at skiesblack.com or be Francis Clark at skiesblack.com. You can follow us on the various social medias on Instagram and uh, X or the, the X formerly known as Twitter. Uh, and that is sky is underscore B to the L to the C to the K. And then on Facebook, it's sky is no underscore, B to the L to the C to the K. And then skiesblack.com for our website. And then, of course, we are all part of the larger recollect.media um, umbrella. So please, dear listener, we implore you to let your friends know about what we're doing here and continue to stay tuned. We highlight experts, innovators, entrepreneurs, amazing scientists from East L.A. Go Dodgers! Who are of African descent and who are moving us forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on Sky is Black. Sky is Nicholas. Sky is Dr. Chanda again. Yes. Sky is Herb. Sky is... Sky is Besserot. Sky is... Sky is... Sky is... Sky is technology being used for good. Yes. Absolutely. Sky is Kazazimoto. Sky is cool animation. Sky is Kazazimojo. <laughs> Sky is black. 
Sky is Akaroko. Sky is Sherbro Island. Sky is Idris. And always Elba. Sky is black. Sky is all that. <laughs>